0: Not that strong at all. Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Job, the book of Job. How many ladies have men up on the mountain at the men's retreat? Uh, they told me Friday they're not coming back. There, there, was, there was a few, le- oh, see, some of you are celebrating over here. There were ladies last night at the last night service, they celebrated. They was like, whoa, yoo-hoo, praise God, answer to prayer. That is so sad, that is so sad. Yeah, okay. Take down those names of the ones that we're celebrating. Hey, good to have you with us. They will be back. I had a good time with them on Friday night, and uh, they'll be back this afternoon. They're having a great time. There's about 80 guys up there in Prescott. Uh, This is our prayer, Experiencing on Intimacy with God series. What is prayer? That's the question we're answering. And we're going to look at Job. It's going to take us a while to get to Job, Job chapter 1. We're going to do a survey. Uh, A few weeks ago when we started this series, uh, we uh, we did a primer. It was on revival. You can still download that message, listen to it, But this is what we said. When believers live in the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit, the evidence in their lives will be supernatural, and the common denominator for that fullness and power is prayer. And then we headed into our teaching series. First week, we talked about the necessity of prayer. We can't survive or even thrive in life without union and communion with God. And then the second week, last weekend, we talked about the greatness of prayer And that is, it is an extension of the greatness and glory of God in and through our lives and in the lives of others as we pray for them. And so this week, I thought it would probably be good for us to maybe ask the question, answer the question, what is prayer? And we're going to learn this morning that prayer is an instinct, it's a gift, it's a conversation, it's an encounter, and we're going to look at the case study of Job. We're going to do a survey of that book. It'll take us a little bit to get there. So get ready to write fast. We've got a lot of stuff we're going to look at this morning. Got a lot of work to do. But before we do that, we need some help. We're going to go before the throne of grace once again and ask God to help us with this study. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We love studying your word. We love interacting with you. We love when you speak to us. You loved us so much that you gave your only son Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we know that prayer is not merely a way to get things from you. It is a a way to experience awe and intimacy with you. In fact, life's greatest treasure and pleasure is knowing you. So teach us what prayer is so that we can know you better for your beauty and glory and our indescribable and indestructible joy in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look uh, at your notes here. So what is prayer? First of all, first fill in the blank. Here we go. It is an instinct. It is an instinct. Now, first uh, point under that, all human beings are made in the image of God. Bearing God's image means that we are designed to reflect and relate to God. Genesis 1, through 27 basically tells us that we are created in the image of God. And with being created in the image of God, we, we were meant, God created us so that we would reflect, reflect him and relate to him. That's why you are here on this planet earth, is to know God and make him known. You, you knew that, didn't you? I hope so, because otherwise you live a pretty aimless life. I mean, you can try to fill your life up with all kinds of the things in creation, but it's, it's pretty fleeting. And when you begin to discover why you're here and you find that it's to reflect and relate, by the way, it goes along with the Westminster Catechism, the first question, what is the chief end of man? You guys might know this, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The chief end of man. So why do you draw air into your lungs? Why are you here on this planet earth? To give glory to God. That's to reflect him and to enjoy him forever. To relate to him. By the way, that's one in the same pursuit. You've heard us talk about that before. So that's why we've got this statement here at Desert Breeze. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So I hope that you came this morning to find your deepest satisfaction in him. You're certainly not going to find it out there somewhere. It's not going to be found in, in uh, you know, in a relationship. Though there's a certain level of, you know, satisfaction you can find in relationships or, or in a bigger bank account, certain satisfaction in that. And, or any number of things in creation. You were meant to find your deepest satisfaction in God and Him alone. And when you do that, that's when you bring most glory to Him. And uh, that's what you were created for. You see, our hearts are forever restless until we find our rest in him, you're going to be chasing, it's a wild goose chase without the goose until you come and you encounter him and you know him. <laughs> and there's nothing quite like that. And so, so there's something deep inside of us. Next point on your notes: all human beings have some knowledge of God, an indelible sense that they need someone who is greater than they are. Romans chapter 1 verses 19 through 20 makes that really clear. It basically is, says that we, we can look at the world and conclude that some great power created and sustains this world. To be quite honest with you, you know, when I look around and see creation, uh, I, you know, I have a hard time. It takes more faith for me to believe that we're here by random chance and unlimited time, just a big accident. I mean, do you guys struggle with that too? It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, the cosmological, teleological arguments are way too strong, there's too much order and design, oh my goodness, and so that's what he's saying in Romans chapter one, verses 19 through 20. Look at creation, wake up, look at this, we're here by divine design, and so that stirs something deep within us, and so oftentimes suffering can trigger this primal knowledge into prayerful cries for help. Next point on your notes, prayer is seeking to respond and connect to that being, But it cannot be a real conversation because the knowledge of God is too general and unfocused, and so uh, it's too general and unfocused. And so, as you as you begin to cry out for God, in fact, the the big question oftentimes is that people ask me, "Does God answer the prayers of unbelievers?" And um, actually, there's a couple cases in the Bible God sometimes is pleased. To answer the prayers of unbelievers, not because of any obligation, but strictly out of His sovereign mercy. And you can write this down in your notes if you'd like. But you can study this on your own. Jonah chapter three is a case case in point. And then Jonah three, chapter three, and then First Kings chapter. 21 verses 27 through 28, 1 Kings 21, 27 through 28. So in defining this idea of prayer, what is prayer? Prayer is an instinct, but we got to take it much deeper than that. The next point on your notes, prayer is a gift, not just an instinct, something deep within us as we cry out to God, but it is a gift. Next point, next thought. Since prayer is a response to the knowledge of God, it is profoundly altered by the amount and accuracy of that knowledge. That's why I love theology. That's why we study God's word diligently week in and week out. What is theology? The study of God. And believe me, the more you get to know God, the more you're gonna love him, the more you're gonna want to know him, it's gonna stir something deep within your heart to, to know him is to love him, to love him is to obey him, and to obey him is to, to abide in him, and to abide in him is to live a fruitful life. If, if, you don't, if you're not being very fruitful, it's because you're probably not abiding, and the reason why you're not abiding is because you're not obeying, and the reason why you're not obeying is because you're not really understanding what love is, and you don't love him because, because you don't know him. And so there's something about getting to know him, and I'm not kind of really too sure about this idea. People say that they fell in love, love at first sight. I believe in love with insight, because I don't think you can really love someone until you really get to know them. And with my wife and I, it wasn't love at first sight, though I was like, I think it was more like lust, but, uh, but I but I, liked, I liked what I saw. I go, yeah, I'd like to get to know her. And I think that the more I got to know her, the more I could love her and the more she's loved me. And even more so is that true with God. As we get to know God, we fall head over heels in love with him because we begin to see how much he loves us and how much he knows us. And so that's all part of it. So... So our, since prayer is a response to the knowledge of God, it is profoundly altered by the amount and accuracy of that knowledge. John 17.3 says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So he's saying this is eternal life. So there, so, the, so, what it's saying in that verse, uh, John 17.3 that there's a life to be found in God in a relationship with him that cannot be found in the pursuit of all the junk in creation, you know, whatever it might be. Like I said earlier, you know, in a relationship or finance or or promotion or bigger house or nicer cars or, or fortune and fame of any sort. This is eternal life that they may know you. Eternal means... Not just quantity of life, but a quality of life. Yeah, we all want to know that when we die, we we go to be with God for all eternity. We're going to all spend eternity somewhere, and we need to know that. But but it's much more than that. It actually uh, means that there is a quality of life. There's a level of life that in this interaction with God, knowing him... And it's, it's amazing. It's, uh, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And therefore, Second Peter 3.18, we want to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's just something that stirs within us. We want to know him. We want to walk with him. We want to experience him in our lives. And we want to grow in that. Next point on your notes, next thought. Christians believe that through the scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit, our understanding of God can become unclouded. The cross-reference I have here, the text is what we're going to study in detail more, uh, more next weekend. But 2 Timothy 3:16-17. This is my wife's favorite verses. And uh, it says this, all scripture is God breathed. I think it's the NIV that says that. Some other translations usually say inspired of God, but think about that, all scripture. So this book that we're studying is the very breath of God. Genesis chapter two, it tells us that uh, God made man out of the dust, you know, out of the dirt. And then what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils and so when we study God's word, this is the breath of God. That's how close, have you ever been so close to somebody they're whispering and you can kind of feel their breath, you know, on your ear or close to your neck? Hopefully you know them. <laughs> what are you doing so close to me? I can feel your breath and it doesn't smell so good. You know, hopefully, hopefully that's not the case. But, but I'll tell you what, oh my goodness, the breath of God the breath of God as he breathes into our life as we interact with him. And so Christians believe that through the scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit, our understanding of God can become unclouded. And so next, uh, next thought, through the gift of being born again, the Holy Spirit shows us that we can converse with God as his children. Oh my goodness, that's that in itself is, is totally amazing. And so what's this idea of being born again? John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13 says, to those who received him and believed in his name, speaking of Jesus, they, had, they, they received the right to become children of God. Jesus talking to Nicodemus at night, uh, told uh, Nick at night this, chapter 3, verse 5, he says, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you are, anybody? Anybody? Born again, yeah, unless you're born again. You can't even enter the kingdom of God. You can't have a a good dialogue and interaction with God until you have been born again. And uh, so when the Holy Spirit awakens you to the reality of God and you begin to put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us that we are, Galatians 4, 5 through 6, adopted as sons, God has sent the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Isn't that interesting? It's so fascinating that the creator of the universe is my daddy. So there's this deep level of intimacy, awe and intimacy that we can enter into with him. And as we interact with God at that level, by the way, uh, I mean, if you just took that and just begin to reflect on that just for a few moments, it would really get rid of the worry and the stress and the junk. You know, the inordinate, there's a certain amount of worry and stress is okay because it kind of motivates us, but when it's inordinate and it dominates our life, one of the reasons why we have that and it's dominating our life, we're not living in the reality. He's my daddy and he's got all the bases covered and he's gonna take care of me. You understand that, don't you? But we don't really understand it. We kind of know it as a as a intellectually, but it's not existentially compelling to us. And so part of prayer is moving it from the head to the heart. Because when you begin to pray at that level, when your prayer life begins to flourish, I mean, the, the effects can be remarkable because worry can be turned into worship. You begin to realize, oh my goodness, my father, he's got everything taken care of. Guilt, oh my goodness, and I've I, I struggled with a lot of guilt in my life. My guilt has turned into, into grace, loathing into love, panic into peace. And yet it's got to go much deeper than this. So it's an instinct. Prayer is an instinct. It's a gift, but it's, it's, it is a conversation. So we enter into this conversation with God. <clears throat> Next thought on your notes. In the Bible, God's living word, we can hear God speaking to us and we respond in prayer. Through the word and spirit, prayer becomes answering God, a full conversation. So this is really... Uh, Fascinating. I, I gave you another cross-reference here. Maybe you're familiar with it. Hebrews 4.12, God's word is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. So there's just something that happens as we study God's word. We have a sense that God is indeed speaking to us. Many of people have said to me that there are times on Sunday morning that they feel like they're the only one in the room and that God's got them, you know, picked out of the crowd and like, like, wow, I felt like you were speaking right to me. Well, I, I wasn't, but God was. And that's part of that idea. And so as you begin to respond to God, um, let me give you a quote. This is from Jonathan Edwards, just a fantastic quote. And, and the idea here is that the Bible is not just a repository of information, but a dynamic spiritual power. So God's word is alive and powerful. We'll get into this in, in more detail next week. So when God spoke, remember in creation, he spoke and things happened, So there's power in his word, there's something that happens, there's a dynamic interaction, there's something happening here as we interact with God, as he speaks to our hearts. And listen to what Jonathan Edwards says, he says, I had then, and at other times, the greatest delight in the Holy Scriptures. Of any book whatsoever, oftentimes in reading it, every word seemed to touch my heart, I felt a harmony between something in my heart and those sweet and powerful words. I seemed often to, to see so much light exhibited by every sentence and such a refreshing food communicated that I could not get along in reading. You know, he couldn't go very far because he'd just kind of almost get stuck on a verse and then a word and then it's like, oh my goodness, God's... God speaking to me and often dwelling long on one sentence to see the wonders contained in it, and yet almost every sentence seemed to be full of wonders. So he's talking about something that's going on as we study. We're not just going through this book and just kind of, oh, read the Bible today. No, no. We're talking about this answering God, this full conversation, this interaction. Next point on your notes, the Bible speaks of our relationship with God as knowing and being known. Of knowing and being known, uh, Galatians four seven. I love this how Paul does this. It's almost as if he says he's like he's really talking with the folks here and saying, "Hey, but now you have come to know God." Oh oh, or rather than to be known by God, he's like saying, "You guys are you guys know God?" Oh oh, but there's something much more important. He knows you. So there's something about. Certainly, it's wonderful that we would know God, knowing God more than just intellectual, intellectually know facts about him, but we truly know him, we're interacting with him. Oh, more importantly, he knows you. And 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 the Bible says, it tells us to what degree he knows us. Do you have any idea how much he knows you? The Bible says that he knows the number of hairs on our head. Don't look at me like that. I know for some of us it's an easy count. That's that. Well, that was that wasn't very funny. You are laughing pretty loud there. Yeah, I mean, think about. I don't. I don't even know the number of hairs on my head. Okay, I I did lose about ten or twelve in the shower this morning. That I, I did notice that. But uh, no, he knows the number of hairs on our head. That's pretty fascinating, isn't it? I, that's, that's quite a bit of knowledge. In fact, I was reading, I was, as I was reflecting on that this morning, it was just, it, it was just, it was really powerful as they as think about that. And in uh, Psalm 56, did you know this? The psalmist is saying, um, David is saying, you have kept count of my tossings. You, you know what he's saying there? How many have had those sleepless nights where you just toss and turn? Show of hands. How many have had way too many of those? I know I have. I've even gotten up and paced the floor just like, oh my goodness, I've got so much on my mind, so much on my heart. And this is what it's saying, he knows about that. He knows the number of times you turn over and keep going back and forth. He knows the number of my tossings, check this out, but my tears are in your bottle. He knows every tear that goes, goes down your face. Did you know that? See, it's good that you know him, but it's more important that that he knows you. He cares that much about you. Did you know that, you know, some of you here have so much stress and anxiety, and if you begin to understand that, that he's with you in those lonely times, you know, in the middle of the night, that he cares about you? My my prayer is that when you come in here on weekend services, that, man, that the reality of who God is, that he knows you. And you can cry out in those lonely times and and meet with your savior, your king, the ruler, who loves you. I mean, that's a lot of detail. You have kept count of my tossings and put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? That's a lot of information. And then as I was thinking about that, of course, you know, we studied this a few weeks back and I I kind of alluded to it in Psalm 139. It's just absolutely wonderful. You guys are familiar with Psalm 139. I mean... I mean, just reflect on this. I mean, he's, he's just talking about, God, you know the words that I'm going to say before I even say it. You know every detail about my life. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. In that chapter, he just says, God knows everything about me. God is always there for me. God is powerfully at work in me. And God is madly in love With me, I mean, that's really the essence of that chapter. I was also thinking as I was kind of reflecting on this idea of how much God knows me is I was thinking of David in Psalm 8 where David says, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the stars and the moon, how you have set them in place. And he says, I mean, it's kind of blowing his mind. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? That the creator thinks thoughts about me and not just that, he loves me. I can interact with him. I can have relationship with him. In fact, it even tells us in Psalm 139 that the thoughts that he thinks outnumber the sands of grain, the grains of sand on the seashore. They outnumber, I mean, you, can, you couldn't count it. You went to you know, Oceanside or San Diego and grabbed a handful of sand. Next time you grab a handful of sand, think of that. He thinks that many thoughts? Yes, he loves you he can't take his mind off of you. He's thinking about you right now. So there's something that goes deep within our heart that that's I mean it just it begins to transform our lives and that's that's part of this as we're diving deeper into this understanding of prayer. It's not just kind of reciting some nice things. It's this isn't this is really a a conversation with God. He says in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. David said, you guys, you familiar with the love chapter? You guys, 1 Corinthians 13, love chapter? Well, in that love chapter, David says this. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. And, and in those days, they had mirrors that were just uh, polished brass. You couldn't see the details. You could just kind of make out the outline of someone. And uh, I, I wish we, we could go back to those days, okay? Because when I look in the mirror, there's just way too many details that I see. You got, you got, how many can relate to that? Just like, so let's just turn the lights down in the mirror. I don't see very well, so I can't see how old I'm getting and all the hair that's falling out of my head. And, uh, and so, but he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. He's saying, you know what? There's just a whole lot that we don't know about God and what he's up to. But then face to face, what what is he talking about there? Face to face. One of these days I will step from time into eternity. I will come face to face with the one who would rather die than to live all eternity without me. The one who adores me and loves me and that I'm in in love with. And I will come face to face and I will know as I am fully known. That's a, a lot of knowledge. It's pretty crazy. Next point on your notes. The goal is not just sharing of ideas but also ourselves. So there's so when we're talking about conversation, talking about sharing ourselves, Ephesians 4:15 says that this is really how we grow up in Christ is that we need a regular Receiving and giving of love and truth in our lives, in community, in our marriages, between us and God, not just just horizontally, but also vertically. And of course, the book of Psalms is all about that. So let me walk you through kind of five levels of communication that need to be happening, not just horizontally in your relationships, but also vertically with God. The first level of communication is cliche conversation. Cliche conversation, you guys familiar with the five levels? And it's the kind of conversation that we carry on with, a, uh, with the person at the checkout counter over here at Fry's, we're checking out, say, hey, how you doing? Fine, thanks. Hey, good. good to hear. Have a great day. It's just very superficial. With each deeper level, it takes a little more trust. And so the next level would be uh, facts, the sharing of facts. So you go from cliche conversation to sharing of facts. Facts would be like, uh, yeah, man, it's kind of warming up out there. I think it was like 88 degrees yesterday. That would be sharing of Facts just back and forth. And then the third level would be opinions. It would be like the person responds, "Yeah, and I hate it when it's getting hot. I don't like the hot." So so they start sharing their opinion and that would so it takes a little bit more trust in the relationship. So you got cliché conversation, facts, opinions. And by the way, most relationships, you know, a lot of relationships don't go beyond this. This is where we kind of get into a fight and we argue and then, then we have to start all over again. Cliché conversation, facts, opinions. And by the way, if you're part of a small group that that's, you don't get any further than that, then uh, you need to try to take that a little bit deeper than what that is. Because It's not a very good, healthy small group. It needs to go deeper into feelings and needs, more truth and love being shared at a deeper level. And that's where you get into that deeper level of you begin to share of your life, it's like it says here. So the goal is not just sharing of ideas, but also of ourselves. And uh, you gotta get through all the superficial and really get to a deeper level with God. So, so this is what it should look like. It should look like this, that, that there are times that when we come together and we study God's word and when you study on your own and when you're hanging out in your small group, you know God is speaking to you and you could even tell me the specifics of what he's saying or what he's, how he's directing you. You know, and you hear me from time to time, like last week, I, I, was, I was studying the previous week and I'll come oftentimes and share with you a couple verses that God's really speaking to me. And that's what it is. You're just like, wow. And then some of you will do that to me too. Hey, check this out, Pastor Ray. I was reading this this last week. This like stood off the page. This is really good stuff. And so there's that truth. He's speaking to you. He's directing you. He's encouraging you. And then there's those times where you're just enveloped with his love too. Because that's in the context. When he speaks truth to you, it's always in the context of his amazing love. So you're just enveloped with his love. You're just overwhelmed. You know, even that, that last song that we were singing, oh my goodness, you know, it's just, that's an overwhelming, that overwhelming sense, oh God, I, I cry out to you, I love you, I thank you for your love for me. And so there's this, you're receiving his truths. so he's wanting to speak to you. If, it has, if it's been a while, got to get back to where you're starting to hear, because he wants to speak to you. And, and you need to also know that it's in the context of his love, and there needs to be those times where you're just overwhelmed by his love. You have a sense of his love on your heart. It'll make all the difference in in your life and how you respond to the circumstances of life. But then there's gotta be times when you're giving him your love. So in healthy relationships, there's this mutual giving and receiving of love and truth. So you're saying, oh God, I love you. I love you, God. I thank you for giving your life for me. Yes. And you just reflect on that. You think about that and then you say, oh, God, right now, I don't really feel you. I don't sense you. I don't have a sense of your presence on my heart. It's been a while. Oh, God, I need that. I long for that. A little bit like Psalm 42. As a deer pants for the streams of water, how my soul pants for you, oh, God. Oh, it's been a while. Oh, I need you. So what's happening? You're in touch with where you are, and you're allowing him to meet you right where you are. And I'll I'll guarantee you that there'll be some specific thing that he'll want to speak to you to comfort you, to love you, to encourage you, to help you, to navigate whatever you're going through. Now, oftentimes what we do is we, we opt to medicate that. We go and watch TV or we, you know, eat too much or drink too much or do something, you know, play video games, whatever it is. You know, we all have these little things that we, we find ourselves chasing after rather than to say, wait, 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 I'm not going to do that. I need to spend time with God. And so there's that deep, deep interaction that's happening there. And, and that leads to an encounter. It is an encounter. So it's an instinct. It's a gift. It's a conversation. Oh, my goodness, it's an encounter. Communication can lead to two-way personal revelation that produces what can only be called a dynamic experience. And I've given you some verses there. We talked about this first one, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, last weekend. And if you have a hard time praying, these are great prayers to pray. They're from the Bible. And Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. And he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, so not just facts, that word knowledge, as we said last week, is facts and experience of those facts on our heart. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance and the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. So hope, riches, power, eyes of the heart enlightened. Another great prayer is found in the third chapter, 16th verse to the 19th verse, where he just says that God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I bet you could use that from time to time. I know I could. strength. God, I need your strength. Strengthen me with your Holy Spirit in my inner being. And then he goes on, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, rooted and established in his love, so that you may know the depth, the height, the width, the length of his love that goes beyond our understanding. It's just, it's crazy. It's just like, oh my goodness, I've never been more loved. But that's gotta be real to your heart. And that's what he's talking about there. And those are great prayers. Let me read to you. Here's a quote from uh, Knowing God, J.I. Packer, to help us understand this dynamic experience. And this is uh, J.I. Packer in his famous work, Knowing God. This is what he writes. Knowing God is a matter of personal dealing. Knowing God is more than knowing about him. It is a matter of dealing with him as he opens up to you and being dealt with by him. Friends open their hearts to each other by what they say and do. We must not lose sight of the fact that knowing God is an emotional relationship as well as an intellectual and volitional one and could not indeed be a deep relationship between persons if it were not so. Next point on your notes. So prayer in the fullest sense is a continuing conversation that God has started through his word and his grace which eventually becomes a full encounter with him that fully transforms us. So an instinct, a gift, a conversation, and now an encounter with God. He begins to meet me right where I am. Whether, you know, wherever I might be, anxious or angry, depressed, whatever's going on, And so now he's beginning to speak to me specific to where my heart is most restless. I'm having an encounter with God. We did a whole series, I think it was over a year ago, on encounters with God. You can still download it and listen to it if you've got the DB app. It's actually under the little icon, encounters with God, I would encourage you to do that. Now, we come to our case study because now Job's gonna teach us how to do this, okay? So let's let's talk about Job. We're gonna do a quick survey. This is our text. and I asked you to turn to Job chapter one. We'll look at verse nine because it kind of sets up the whole book of Job. And uh, by the way, you guys, if you're familiar with Job, uh, Job, it says in the very first verse, Job was, uh, was a man who was blameless, upright, who feared God, turned away from evil. He had seven sons, three daughters. Man, he had just a slew of wealth, man. He was wealthy, mega wealthy. And the dude loses everything. And I can't even imagine losing one child, let alone uh, 10. He lost all 10 of his kids. So he's devastated. Here's what it says in Job chapter 1, verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? So here's the big challenge. Is it possible that a person can come to love God for himself alone so that there is a fundamental con- contentment in life, regardless of circumstances? See, Satan is challenging God, saying, well, of course Job loves you. Look at how you've blessed him. Take those blessings away. He's not going to love you anymore. That's the point. And um, it's fascinating to, as we kind of survey this. Now, my wife and I, we were in uh, uh, Prescott a few days ago because I was teaching at the men's retreat on Friday night. We were in the St. Michael's Bistro. Um, In Prescott, It's the southwest corner of Gurley and Montezuma. We're sitting there having breakfast. It's a very historic building, really a nice place. And she shared with me what she was reading that morning, Charles Spurgeon Morning and Evening Devotional Number 362. It was a bit of a gut punch, really. Maybe she felt like I needed it, I guess. I don't know. That's unkind. Actually, it was very kind because it it really brought to me, it, it once again centered me and it gave me a sense. And it really kind of goes along with this whole idea of Job in our own lives, you know, do I find so much satisfaction and contentment in him that even if I were to lose everything, I would still have a sense of uh, a well-being and contentment, and, and, and so that's, that's a great question. This is what she shared with me from Charles Spurgeon. He who follows Christ for his bag is a Judas. They who follow for loaves and fishes are children of the devil, But they who attend him out of love to himself are his own beloved ones. You guys tracking with that? That's pretty heavy duty. He uses kind of the language is kind of a bit uh, archaic. Charles Spurgeon, of course, if you read that, makes you think a little bit. Are you coming to God to get from God or to be with God? I'll tell you what, if you're coming to get from him, there'll be a time in your life you feel like you're not getting from him what you think you deserve. That's the wrong reason. And you need to be coming to him to be with him because that's better by far. That's the point. She went on to read this next point. said, a godly man... Often grows best when his worldly circumstances decay. And that's what we see in the life of Job. Because what's fascinating for all of his complaints, and by the way, he complains to God. In fact, how many have ever tried to read through the book of Job and you kind of gave up after the first four or five chapters? It's, just, it's just like, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? There's this crazy dialogue. And there's certainly prayers throughout that. He's interacting with God. He's talking to God. But he's got these three miserable comforters that have come along to try to help him. And these guys, if, if you have three guys like this in your small group, go find another small group, okay? I mean, this is crazy. These guys were moralists. You know what a moralist is, don't you? They're very religious. The moralists will say, well, obey God and he'll bless you. That's moralism. God has blessed us, therefore we obey him. Our obedience comes out of the fact that you have any idea how he's blessed us through Jesus? It's by God's grace. So what these guys are saying, they're pounding the heck out of Job, saying, well, Job, you just probably lack faith. That's why you're suffering. Or how about this one? you got sin in your life. And by the way, you need to know that you can really do all the right things and still get the living daylights beat out of you because we live in a fallen world. And that's and what's fascinating for all of his complaints, Job never walks away from God or denies his existence. He processes all of his pain and suffering through prayer. And there's some wonderful prayers throughout. But you're wondering, is this book gonna ever come to an end? And... Um, and he's having a hard time accepting the life God has called him to. Now, turn to chapter 38. So we just kind of went through a big chunk, kind of explained it there to you. There's a, there's a fourth comforter that comes along, and he seems to be a, a, a tad more sane. But uh, Job's still struggling, and finally, Job, uh, the Lord, reveals in vivid detail that he is the creator and sustainer of all things, Look at Job chapter 38, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. So so, uh, prayer is an instinct, a gift, uh, conversation with God, and now we're going to see Job's going to have this encounter with God. He's had the conversation, now he's going to have... Uh, this encounter with God. So the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, by the way, that's not very friendly, a whirlwind. This is like a tornado. This is pretty heavy-duty stuff. And God says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Job, you are clueless. Hello, Job. Job, what are you thinking? You're talking to me like you're God. You're coming after me like your God, and I'm I'm the one that was created. You're the creator and I'm the creation. That's, that's what he's saying. And uh, in other words, Job, you're you clueless about what you're asking me and saying. And then he says this, verse three, this is pretty hardcore. Dress for action like a man. I will question you. And you make known to me. So he's basically saying, hey, full contact today, dude. Put on your helmet and pads because we're getting after it right now. That's really a little bit of the the flavor here. And then he begins to ask him questions. I had someone do some research on this uh, between services, and they actually said, so he hits him relentlessly, machine gun fashion, with about 70 questions. This is what they sound like. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, smarty pants? Okay, I added the smarty pants. It's not actually a... Not actually there, but that's kind of what I'm feeling. And so, I mean, his. tell me if you have understanding. So let me ask you that question. Where were you when God laid the foundation of the world? Um, I don't know where I was. <laughs> exactly. You're clueless. You're, you're, you're trying to bully God. You think that you know better than God. You're shaking your fist at God because he won't give you, you know, your false God. Because things are more important than, than God and knowing God, and so it 's really fascinating. I mean just I mean, so from that verse on, he goes on and works, he talks about the world below, and then verse 19, he talks about the world above, and then in verse 39 of that chapter, the world of animals. I mean there's a couple chapters. it's just it's relentless. And then jump to chapter 40, look at verses three through five because, because job is finally getting it after about 70 questions. Job is astonished and humbled by this deeper vision of God and has a breakthrough, and this is how he responds. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? Now, here's the deal. Everybody look up here just for a minute. You've got to get this. One of the reasons why we have this inordinate anxiety, anger, and depression working in our lives is because we have a small view of God And if you begin to understand who God is and how much he loves you and he's gonna take care of you. See, that's what we need. We need, a, we need a higher view, a bigger view. And that's what he's giving him. He's having this encounter with God. He's beginning to say, oh my goodness, what the heck was I even thinking? You are gonna take care of me. You love me. You adore me. You've got everything covered. That's a little bit of what he's saying here. Then Job, then Job answered and, uh, to answer the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my mouth, my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And now turn to the end of the book. End of the book, chapter 42. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful uh, chapter. He finally prays a mighty prayer of repentance and adoration. Now, listen to this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. You see the bigger view that he has of God? Like, God, you're in control, you can do all things. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You're not here to serve me, I'm here to serve you, is what Job is really getting at. And who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? So he's talking to God. He says, just, I, I still, I'm still pretty clueless, but I, I see you and I understand you more clearly. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Oh, and I love verse 5. It's one of my favorite verses. It's had such a powerful impact on my life. And this is what he says I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. I I had a lot of information about you in my head, but now I finally experienced you deep in my heart. You see the the difference? I had heard of you. I know you, God. I know you. I'm experiencing you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's uh, really a sweet repentance. He's, oh, I'm back on track. I'm back on track. I'm back where I need to be with you. And it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Job never saw why he suffered. And, and I've heard people say, if I could just find out why, I know everything would be better. Job never found out why. Job never saw why he suffered, but he, but he saw God, and that was enough. See, that's what we need. We need that encounter with God. It goes from conversation, encounter. Wow. Awe and intimacy with God. So the question is, is it possible that a person can come to love God for himself alone so that there is a fundamental contentment in life regardless of circumstances? Yes, absolutely. By the end of the book, we see the answer. Yes, that is possible, but only through prayer. Here's the last three points. The more clearly Job saw... Who God was, the fuller his prayers became, moving from mere complaint to confession, appeal, and praise. See, when you get to that place of worship, you begin to understand, yeah, my life's in your hands. I surrender to you. You're the one that calls the shots. Next point, in the end, he broke through and was able to face anything in life. This new refinement and level of character came through the interaction of listening to God's revealed word and answering in prayer. This dynamic experience as we talked about. The more true your knowledge of God, the more fruitful your prayers become and the more sweeping the life change. Next weekend, you're going to have to come back because we're going to talk about this conversing with God. How do you do that? What does that look like? I want that. I want that for you. I want that for us, and you'll see on the end of your notes there, but God spoke audible words to Job. Yes, he did. We have something better, an incalculably clear expression of God's character, Jesus. Jesus, and not only do we have Jesus, but this book is all about Jesus, and that's what we're gonna continue to study. If you are new with us this morning, we thank you for being our guest here. I'd love the opportunity at the end of the service to meet you and buy you a drink from our our cafe. Uh, on us, and uh, if you are in need of prayer, I'd love the opportunity to pray with you up here. There'll be a few other leaders up here that we can pray with you about anything in particular that you're struggling with. If you have never made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, man, this would be a great morning for you to do that. That's the most important decision you can make for time and for eternity. You do that by acknowledging your sin that separates you from our Savior, believe that he died on the cross for all of your sins, and then give your life over to him. You can do that right now as we pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, it's been a great morning. We thank you for your love for us. And I thank you for those that are even even now confessing you as their Savior and Lord and entering into a lifelong, passionate pursuit of an ongoing and growing relationship with you. God, we've learned that the power of our prayers isn't primarily in an effort, in our effort and striving or any technique, but rather in our knowledge of you and your son is the radiance of your glory and the exact imprint of your nature. And this book is packed full about your son. So, God, as we, as we learn how to interact with you through your word, teach us. Teach us how to pray. May we read the Bible looking not so much for life lessons as much as we, we just long to interact with the only one who can satisfy our soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read your word this next week and spend time with you in prayer, may we ask and expect him, our Savior, to speak to us personally and powerfully as if he were sitting on the couch right next to us. And may this gift of prayer become more than than a conversation with you, but an encounter with you that transforms us into people who radiate your beauty and glory in all that we think, feel, say, and do. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.